Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the deep dive. It is Wednesday night. It is 7.30. And you're here at the, hopefully, the Tim Hatch Live channel, youtube.com slash Tim Hatch Live. Welcome in. We're going to get into the book of Romans today. I got my Bible ready. I got the camera working today for the Bible cam. I'm so excited about that. And uh, just fair warning, this is uh, episode three, season five. And fair warning that if there is ever going to be one of the studies in this book that um, YouTube or Google have a problem with is going to be this one. Today we discuss what is wrong with the world. The book of Romans has the answer. We're living it and we need to talk about it. Let's get into it. Romans chapter one, we are picking up right where we left off last week or two weeks ago. Uh, got the Bible cam here ready, I believe. Yes. So where do we leave off? We left off with, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek in the gospel. He says, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God. Remember that phrase. It's not a righteousness that we produce or perform. It's a gift gift righteousness from God through faith in Jesus Christ. It is revealed to us from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That is the theme, and I put it in my margins, and I hope you do too in your Bible, the theme of Romans. Now, when we turn to the very next, (laughs) the very next line, we get into the wrath of God. And before we get into this text, uh, first off, we should pray right? We should ask God to speak to us. So would you pray with me? Father, I ask in Jesus' name that what we hear right now, what I say and what we hear will be in accordance with your word, your truth, your wisdom. And I pray that you will quicken our ears and our hearts to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get into the text, I feel that we need to talk about something uh, that, 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 that I think helps us understand this passage. And that is the question, what in the heavens is happening? <laughs> what in the heavens is happening? And, 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 and I think that many of us are asking that question perhaps more than ever before. I think that we are in a cultural moment, particularly in the West, the American uh, nation, the Canadian nation, the uh, a lot less the Europeans. They're about 10 to 20 years ahead of us on this cultural revolution. We are in a bit of a social experiment. I want to give context before we get to the text. And I'm giving present day context because the present day context applies to the contexts of every generation before us since Genesis chapter 3. So right now in our country, we are in a bit of a social experiment. It started in 1962. It started when there was a push to remove uh, any vestige of Bible, prayer, um, Christian thought and influence from our educational system. Now, I know the secularists and the atheists don't agree with what I'm about to say, and I don't expect them to agree because the fool says it is hard. There is no God. But there was a movement and there was a Supreme Court case that removed the 
education from the educational system are uh, the the foundation of our educational system. The the actual original goal of our educational system, which is to educate our children so that they would not be deluded. They would not be deceived by Satan himself. You can go way back, and I've talked mentioned this many times on this on this channel. That old deluder Satan act. It was the offspring of the Massachusetts legislature from 1670 something. I forget exactly. You look it up. The educational system was started through that act of the Massachusetts Congress so that our children would not be deceived by Satan. Well, we abandoned that like Israel before us and like every almost nation before us who had any vestiges, any foundations of scriptural truth. We abandoned that. And that began the 1960s. So the 1960s began a cultural revolution, a, a somewhat malignant cultural revolution that has only now begun to be far more obtrusive than ever expected. The decade of the 1960s produced two great, uh, not great, two powerful movements, one great, one terrible. The great movement of the 1960s was the, was the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King Jr., and the fight for civil liberties and rights for black people, non-white people. Uh, it fought against the inherent racism of our country. Thank God for that movement. It was long overdue. It's disgusting what we experienced and what we sanctioned and even what Bible preachers uh, supported uh, throughout the uh, early days, not the early days, the mid 1900s and anything anytime before that well that movement has been conflated because of its origins in the same decade with the second movement which is not a great movement it's called the sexual revolution so you have the civil rights movement you have the sexual revolution the sexual revolution is the uh movement of the 1960s that codifies the sexualization of our culture today the supreme court case of roe v wade 1973 legalizes abortion abortion legalized throughout the country uh, transforms sexual activity. S sexual activity no longer about procreation, but rather about recreation. So, you know, you make a mistake, you get pregnant, you can kill the baby. Uh, that is legalized. It has been legalized now for 47 years. Uh, 63 some odd million children have been murdered in what should be the most protective sanctuary of their experience of their lives, their mothers' wombs. Uh, now the birth rate is dramatically falling. Uh, the, uh, the reproductive rate is dramatically falling. The population should be far bigger than it is right now. We have far less taxpayers. Therefore, we have a far bigger tax burden on those who are paying taxes. These are all facts that we don't want to acknowledge when we talk about these things, but they are facts that matter to you and to me and to everyone around us. Uh, then there's the Supreme Court. Far less or known Supreme Court decision, Miller v. Miller v. California, 1973, legalizing pornography. So, so, so it's amazing that 1973 produces uh, legalized abortion, and then 1973 also produces legalized pornography. So now, now sexual activity is an artistic expression. It's a uh, protected free speech. Uh, now materials dealing with sex, uh, magazines, books, movies, they are not deemed obscene, uh, according to the court case, unless patently offensive hardcore sexual contact. Well, there was a number of other court cases, lesser court cases, that actually legalized hardcore sexual content. And so today, our internet is flooded, our magazines, I don't think actually they're as flooded as they were before because internet provides all this garbage for free. Uh, our phones, okay, everything that you can get your hand on with a screen is going to be a pipeline to a flood of the most disgusting opportunities to experience um, hedonism to the nth degree, 1973. Then there's this 
again, the, the, the sexual revolution is malignant for a few years. There's the rebel rock movement of the 1980s, the sexualization of teenagers through music and, and, and all sorts of things. The, my, my generation, Gen X, growing up with Like a Virgin uh, being you know the, the, the archetype of every pop single from then on. Like every female, amazingly, every female pop singer has to become more sexually explicit in their singing uh, than the one before them to the effect that we get to WAP. <laughs> and and now we're, it's, there's no boundaries. There's no limits to the, the disgusting nature of artistic expression. That leads us to the turn of the century. 2001, we are attacked. 9-11, we just uh, remembered it for the 20th year. 2011, we were attacked by religious extremists. Now, people don't realize that that actually had something to do with where we are. Because when religious extremists attacked America, it gave birth to the rise of atheistic evangelism. Atheists said, this is the problem with religion. Religion's uh, poison. Religion destroys everything. We need to get rid of religion. We've got to get it out of every part of our government. That uh, produces a whole generation of uh, atheistic young people. It produces a whole generation of agnostics. It l really winnows the church. There's a lot of nominal Christians that abandon Christianity in the early 2000s because of the influence of people like uh, Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins, and who, whose book I have over here on the shelf because he got canceled recently. And, um, oh, I forget the other guy's name. So, Sam Harris. There's a rise of secularism. There's a rise of progressivism. And then in 2003, Massachusetts, my home state, legalizes gay marriage. Texas Supreme Court uh, rules that sodomy is now lawful. And um, homosexuality is on the track to become sanctioned by the U.S. government as completely normal and natural, even in some respects by our, cult by our pop, pop culture, even more preferable. So you get to 2015 and the first black president. It's amazing. This is, how, this is how these two movements converge. The first black president works through his administration to make sure that the Supreme Court grants gay marriage recognition in this country, full stop. So today we are at the point six years removed from that decision where, where it was a decision about privacy. It was a decision about someone else's rights not infringing upon your own. Now we are six years removed from that decision. And we have kids being asked their pronouns by their teachers on the first day of school and teachers getting fired if they misgender a student. That is where we are. That is the 50 plus 60, almost 60, right, year experiment that our culture is currently in. And as I said yesterday on the deep end, this uh, civil rights movement and the, uh, the sexual liberation movement have to be conflated because the legitimate movement of civil rights has to lend credence and substantiability or, or, or viability to the sexualization movement because without it, this sexualization movement would be found for what it is, completely wanting and a falsehood. And the problem is that we, we've, we have so many people that are unaware of this, especially younger people, younger people are not aware of this conflation. They are just accepting that civil rights is sexual rights or so on and so forth. They are not. One movement is rooted in scriptural truth that all men are created equal, made in the image of God, that we are one race, Acts chapter 17, or you can go back to Genesis chapter one, realize that we all came from Adam and Eve. All of us have the same parents. Uh, there's a way to explain the differences in colors. There's, there's a way to explain the differences in uh, genetic ma makeup. Uh, there is even scientific proof that we all share one uh, DNA structure. Uh, 
a small portion of our DNA is all the same. We are one race and we should treat each other with dignity and respect. That is the movement of God. That is a movement of heaven. That is a movement of biblical truth. The other movement is a movement rooted in satanic lies. Satanic lies that you are your own God. You can do whatever you want with your own body and you can have uh, unlimited sex, pleasure, abortions. Uh, you are God unto yourself. And this was almost unreported uh, in the news. But here's how we, we know it's rooted in satanic lies because when the abortion law, the restrictive abortion law in Texas was an, enacted, uh, they didn't know what to do. So they, you'll never believe this. They turned to the satanic temples of Texas and even in Massachusetts to work to create this religious exemption workaround to allow people to still get abortions past the deadline, the six week or whatever, 12 week deadline in Texas. The satanic temple says this is a matter of religion for us to kill unborn babies. It's a matter of religion for us. And almost nobody is saying anything. Almost nobody is even raising an eyebrow over this. This is what is happening. One movement is godly, the movement for civil rights, the movement for equal rights, the movement for equal law. The other is a movement rooted in hedonism and the God of self. Now America is the number one exporter of pornography to the world. Amazon Web Services makes most of its money hosting pornographic websites. Uh, the liberal arts city of, I'm sorry, the liberal city of Austin, Texas, this past week, parents were furious and outraged that their kids were reading in school, assigned books, stories of adults and kids having sex, I'm not kidding, oral sex, touching each other, touching their genitals. Uh, this is assigned reading, and, and most of it homosexual. This is assigned reading in an Austin, Texas County public school system. <laughs> the parents spoke out. The parents showed up at the meeting. They stood up in a public forum of the school committee, and they quoted pages from the book. They had pages printed up. You, I don't even want to put it up on the screen because it's so disgusting. And they asked that these books be removed. Guess what happened? You will not believe this. The people who asked that these books be removed were attacked. They were sent in the mail... Uh, penis-shaped objects uh, with threatening language, one of them very sacrilegious in nature. I do not want to put it up on the screen because it's absolutely disgusting. Uh, the district was supposed to meet yesterday to determine what to do. Let's pray that they wake up. I don't know if they did or if they will. How do we get here? Yesterday in Hudson, Ohio, the mayor went before the school board and told them all to resign. Why? Because... Once again, sexually explicit material made its way into the curriculum of the seniors, the senior class, taking an advanced writing course. It was uh, for college credit. So that's how they're going to justify it because it's really a college course that was given to seniors in high school. And in this one particular assignment, it was uh, telling the students to write a sex scene that you would never show your mother. That was one of the assignments. Write a sex scene that you would never show your mother. This is the movement of Satan. It is as clear as day. I hope you understand it. The rejection or the insurrection of godly authority, parents, and the proliferation of sexual immorality. This is how you get in the most anxious, most depressed, most suicidal generation of young people in our history. Because when children have no boundaries, they are anxious. They are desperate for boundaries. Our school systems don't give it to them. Parents oftentimes don't give it to them. The government isn't going to give it to them. And the uh, the status of 
pop culture. Forget it. It's all, everything goes. We are made for boundaries. Even Acts 17 talks about that God put in boundaries in place. Our bodies are confined to time and space, right? Our brains are confined to a space in our head. We, we are made for boundaries. And when we cast off the boundaries, especially the boundaries that God has established in our world, ladies and gentlemen, hear me, we pay the price. So America, you are in the midst of a social revolution. You are on the, I guess I would say the second chapter of this, where we have children not even knowing what gender they are, where we have the, uh, the insubordination of adults, of parents. We, we have the rejection of norms, re the rejection of uh, holy and sanctioned marriage, no-fault divorce. I could get into that as well. That Supreme Court ruling. All these things to undermine the family. All, all, all these movements to undermine sexual normity, all these things to undermine the human race. That, my friends, is what is happening. And the real answer to what is happening is Romans 1 is happening. Romans 1, we are living it. And so with that in mind, let's get to the text and let's talk about what it meant. Okay, three uh, sections of our study in the deep dive, what it meant, what it means, and what it, why it matters. So let's get into the text. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Okay. <laughs> so first things first, let's talk about the wrath of God because that is, that's something that we don't like to talk about. Oh, I, I don't like wrath. Well, look. Uh, it's amazing how we say we don't like God's wrath, but we're perfectly fine with our own. Everyone has wrath. Uh, wrath is what you get when people are about to, people that you care about are about to hurt themselves and you feel unheard. A parent sees their child running into traffic, wrath. They will scream, they will yell, they will holler. They will, if necessary, grab that child forcefully and if necessary, and yank that child, maybe even if necessary, yank the arm out of the socket to save that child's life. That's called wrath. A spouse finds their partner cheating. That's called wrath, okay? They are angry. They are ready to murder somebody. That's called wrath. Okay, don't murder, but I'm just saying, there's wrath. A generation of people see a white police officer kneeling on the neck of a black man and him subsequently dying and the entire generation breaks out in wrath. You see, we have no problem with our own wrath, but it's amazing how we have a problem with God's wrath. We are made in God's image. If he has wrath, we're gonna have wrath. Why do we hold God to an accountability that we will not even hold ourselves to? See, see, God's wrath is different from our wrath and that is his perfect wrath. And God's wrath comes from a place of seeing humans harm themselves destroy themselves and warning and warning and warning and them not listening and then God saying, okay, fine. Here's, here's what you get. Now, there are two kinds of wrath before we get to the second half of this passage. There are two kinds of wrath. There is the passive wrath and the active wrath of God. L let me say something about uh, the church age. In the church age, that is before Christ comes again, we will only experience the passive wrath of God. I really believe this. I do. I really believe that we're only going to receive or experience the passive wrath of God. The active wrath of God is in the Old Testament and it's in the second coming. 
Okay, so uh, the scriptures are very clear that when Jesus comes back, he's coming with a sword in his mouth, a scepter in his hand. He's coming back on a white horse to conquer. He's coming not to make peace, but to make war. It's called Armageddon, and that will be the final vestige of God's act of wrath. But in this age, God is graciously opening the door of salvation to anyone who would hear, and at the same time, passively handing people over to their own foolish desires. And that's what Paul says here when he says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, you have to tie this unrighteousness of men to uh, verse 17, which we already talked about, which is the righteousness of God. So the righteousness of God is revealed in the midst of the unrighteousness of men, which suppresses the truth. The righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel as men suppress the truth through their unrighteousness. This is very important so that we understand what God is doing in this world. Okay, back back to the text. They suppress the truth. That's called cancel culture. That's what we have been living with since the 1960s, the suppression of truth. Eliminate the Bible from the public school system. Eliminate the Bible from the educational system. Eliminate the Bible from the corporate corporate world. Eliminate the Bible from the governmental structures. Suppress the truth. Push aside the truth. Marginalize the Christian religion, whatever it takes. They're all on the same page. They're all on the same side to make sure that we mock, ridicule, and suppress God's truth. If you suggest that God created the world in seven days, you are deemed a religious zealot. If you see, if you confess that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, even many professing Christians will chastise you. If you say that hell is real and it's eternal and men and women are going there, you will be hated. You will be silenced. If you declare that a child is a life from conception or marriage is between a man and a woman, you are considered on the wrong side of history, outdated, bigoted, all kinds of nasty names will be assigned to you. This is called cancel culture. This is called, in the scriptural terms, suppression of the truth. That's what we have been doing. That's what humankind does. And that is our nature. And we're going to get into why it is our nature. And, and then what Paul unpacks for us is that we really have no excuse here. Look, look with me, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. So they suppress the truth. But what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So what can be known about God? And by the way, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Okay. And knowing God is in salvific or uh, Christian relationship to God through Jesus Christ. Knowing about God is understanding there is a God. We are accountable to him. Because I say that because in the New Testament, there are many passages that deal with the Gentiles who do not know God and those who formerly did not know God. He's talking about knowing him relationally. But here he's talking about the fact that all men have no excuse because what can be known about God purely from an observational point of view can be known because God has shown it to them how Number uh, Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Notice how all these are synonymous. It is plain, it is shown, it is clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Okay, so the creation reveals God in the things that have been made so that men are without excuse. No one, and listen to me very carefully here, ladies and gentlemen, no one is getting to heaven saying I did not have enough information about you. No one. According to the biblical record, you've got to go with the Bible, not with what you think, not with what you perceive, not with what you feel. 
No mankind, no man, so no, no woman has an excuse before God because God has revealed himself. Now, there are two means through which God has revealed himself. Uh, they are general and special revelation. General revelation is the created order. God has made himself known through the universe. And that's what it's talking about here in verse 19 and 20. I will give you another passage that backs this up. Well, first I'll give you special revelation. Special revelation is the Bible and Jesus Christ. Those are God's special revelation where his uh, character is clearly displayed through the person and work of Jesus Christ and through the biblical truth describing him. Eternal, immortal, immutable, uh, omnipresent, omniscient. You know, those, those descriptions of God come from the Bible. Those are special revelations of God. But general revelation to which all mankind is accountable, is experienced through the heavens, through the created order. I give you Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The, when you see the sky, when you see the stars, when you see the moon, they are declaring that there is a God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. In other words, there is no such thing as we didn't have enough information. There's no such thing. And, and, and now there's another passage in, in Romans that we're going to talk about real quick that we're going to skip ahead to that reveals that general revelation is pretty clear, pretty clear, because Paul is telling the Romans, everyone is accountable to God, regardless of how much they've heard of the Bible. And here's how you know, look at this passage in Romans chapter two, verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature, do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Do you see what Paul is saying here? He is saying that not only do we have the natural revelation of creation, but we also have this internal moral compass that always points north. And we either follow it or we reject it. And then we either accuse, we live with guilt or we live with uh, moral re uh, re relevancy. <laughs> Whatever I want to do, in other words. So they are, they are without excuse through the created order. They are without excuse through the internal moral code. That is what scripture reveals. And you have to understand this if you're going to realize that what is happening in our world is the rejection of the God of truth. It is the suppression of his truth, it is the rejection of his truth, and it is an outright rebellion against this God. It is an outright rebellion. P please get that because we are so quick, especially Christians, <laughs> we are so quick to excuse people for their actions because of their experiences, because of their hardships, because of the, the society, because of the social structure, because of the country, because of whatever. <laughs> Jesus said, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, murders, fornications, lies, and adultery. And we know what's wrong. That's why most people will confess to guilt, shame, and fear. Most people have those, uh, those internal combustible emotions constantly. We are without excuse. Now, we got to move on. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not, two things, honor him. Another translation says glorify him as God or give thanks to him. Now, that's interesting because there are two responses to the true God that we are accountable to perform. Glorifying him, 
giving thanks to him. Interesting, right? And when we do not do that, with the knowledge of God that we have, we become, what does it say? Futile in our thinking. The word futile means just disreputable, just useless, worthless thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew God, they rejected God, they refused to glorify God, and God handed them, and, and, and their, I'm sorry, and their thinking, listen to this very carefully, because there's an order to this passage that is important. Their thinking became futile, and their hearts became dark. And that is where we have been, uh, I believe, since the Enlightenment. Our thinking became futile because we believed that uh, the religious, the mystery of the, the world, the mystery of godliness, the mystery of the, the scriptures, they were no longer necessary because we could think for ourselves and we could un understand the universe according to our scientific discovery and we could posit a theory of our arrival to this planet that is devoid of God. There's a man very well known who made it his life, life's ambition to provide for us an origin narrative that is devoid of God. His name was Charles Darwin. He was raised by a pastor. He was uh, actually, uh, his only do uh, degree was in theology and he rejected the Christian faith. He, he confesses that he rejected it uh, slowly. He, he evolved spiritually into uh, an agnostic, a, a rejecter of Christ and Christianity. And then he produced a book and you should know the book is, is uh, called The Origin of Species. And many of us understand the title of the book is called The Origin of Species. But, but did you know the full title of the book? Because this is very important. Do you know the full title of the book is not even mentioned anymore because the full title of the book exposes the lie of evolution. Here, here's the full title. I'm going to put actually the cover of the book on the screen. The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. Do you understand that in the title of Charles Darwin's most infamous book, a book that is given as reading to universities the world over, in the title is racism. Written right into the title. And academia yawns because mankind suppresses the truth. Do you understand that Charles Darwin's cousin picked up on the thoughts of the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life? His cousin picked up on this and produced a thought concept of uh, using the origin of species, survival of the fittest, to produce a higher race of humans uh, and then produced the concept of eugenics, which led to Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood before her, well, actually, no, right after her, uh, the Nazis uh, picked up on these beliefs and these structures and produced the uh, belief system of the Aryan race being superior. And, and every dictator in the 1900s, the bloodiest century in world history picked up on these ideas that there is a superior race and it is all about kill or be killed and over i would say 200 million people were slaughtered by despots and dictators and fascists over the course of 100 years because of the origin of species they're they're in their thoughts they became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened
Got it? These things matter, ladies and gentlemen. These, these things matter and they have an effect. And this is where we are. Verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they exchanged the glory. Oh, sorry, first. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Okay, that's the institutional system. That's the, uh, sorry, that's the educational system. The university system. Claiming to be wise, we know better than God now. We, we, your first class in philosophy in any university will immediately challenge the Christian faith, will immediately challenge the Bible. And because kids are kids and they don't have the uh, mental structure yet, they don't have a, a deep underpinning of theological truth. They don't have a catechesis behind them to help them defend their faith. They literally, their faith is obliterated within moments of their first philosophy class in the university structure to undermine biblical authority in life so that they can open their hearts and their minds to foolishness. So in their thinking, uh, they became futile, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, that's idolatry, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now in the ancient world, and any anthropologist will tell you this, and in the ancient world, almost, no, 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 every, not almost, every culture, every human culture ever discovered has some form of worship of uh, deities. And those deities are typically re represented by created things, trees, rocks, sacred grounds, birds, beasts of the field. Even in India still to this day, the cow is a sacred uh, being in much of Hinduism. And uh, interestingly enough, this idolatry exhibits itself not just in the ancient world or in third world countries. It exhibits itself in our country. <laughs> they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images representing mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Ask yourself, it's, the NFL season is upon us. What are some of the names of the NFL teams? The Bears, the Lions, the Eagles, the Bengals, the Jaguars, you, you name them. Creeping things. What is the biggest church in almost every metropolitan city in America? It's a sports system. It's the sports stadium. <laughs> this is a church, ladies and gentlemen. Wherever you have singing, celebration, worship, hands raised, clapping, uh, a unified, heartfelt desire to win, to conquer, that, my friends, is church. There was a day in this country where the church was the largest building in town. Now you go to almost any metropolitan area, almost any smaller city, and the churches of Main Street are dwarfed by uh, buildings of industry, business, and sports. And we wonder why our culture is in absolute darkness. Because we have exchanged, we have exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. It's just... We're doing what we do. We are experiencing what humans have been doing for as long as we've been around. Moving on in the text. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator, creature, sorry, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Okay, so there's a because statement. There's a causal statement here. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Look at this. Don't miss this, guys. God gave them up. And three times 
in this text three times. Whenever scripture says something three times in a row, pay attention to it. Three times in this text, it tells us that God gave them up. God handed them over. God gave them over. This is the passive wrath of God. Why did God give them up? Because they rejected him. Exchange the truth for a lie. That's the educational system. They exchanged God's glory for created things. That's the environmental system, the business system, the economic system, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the idolatrous system of our age. And they served the creature rather than the creator. That's our uh, anthropological system. We, all, we will exalt almost anything to godlike status in our lives. And we have been doing this for as long as human beings have been around. Empires and countries have risen up to the fore and have slowly deteriorated from within and have destroyed themselves. The Roman Empire did it. The Turks did it. The Ottoman Empire did it. And someday soon the West. Well, the West is doing it. And it will be cast onto the ash heap of history. I know. This is dark, but it needs to be said because it's in the scriptures. Now, again, the judgment, the wrath, this is back to the wrath, right? The wrath of God is God giving them up. This is the passive wrath of God in action. And this is so important because do you know what the passive wrath of God is? It is God letting you do what you want. That's what, that's what passive wrath, the wrath of God. We think it's thunderbolts of lightning from heaven. We, <laughs> so there's even like this euphemistic saying, oh, if I do that, God will strike me dead with a thunderbolt. Mm, nope. If you do that, God's just going to let you do it. And you're going to pay for it. You're going to experience the consequences in your own body. He's going to get to that in just a moment. See, people think they get away with sin. They don't. They store up wrath. That's what we are doing. Romans 2, 5. They, they store up wrath for the day of judgment. And by the way, before we just point Christians, listen to me very carefully. I should have said this in the very first part of this teaching. Before you think that Romans is our biblical mandate to point at the world and say, shame on you, just be patient for next week's deep dive. When we get into Romans 2 and we find that as we point at the world and say, shame on you, there are three biblical fingers pointing right back at us and saying, back at us, the church and saying, no, shame on you because you do the same thing. You just do it in secret ways. They do it in public ways. So I want to just give you some some contextual information about where we're going in the text. Now I know nobody's going to tune in next week. <laughs> Nobody's gonna, make sure you hit that like and subscribe button. Make sure you hit that, that, that notification bell so that you can't avoid your phone telling you to tune in next week. But anyway, we think that God's wrath is somehow some sign from heaven. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah. No, that's Old Testament. God's wrath today is God allowing us to do what we want and get what we ask for. C.S. Lewis, in his profound book, The Problem of Pain, wrote the following, The lost enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and therefore are self-enslaved. The lost enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and therefore are self-enslaved. God's wrath is letting you do what you want. Now, Let's conversely state the gospel. God's gospel salvation, the God's saving work is saving you from doing what you want. Do, do you get it? We talked about this. Slaves of righteousness are slaves to sin. We have one choice. 
to make is either slave of righteousness or slave to sin. We get to live one way or the other. And God's work of saving you, and I hope you understand, because this is why Romans is so important. God's work of saving you is this, that when God saves you, the first person he saves you from is you. You're the problem with you. Your sinful heart, your wicked, evil heart is what God is trying to save you from. Because as Romans 1 has already outlined for us, in judgment, God gives sinners over to themselves. Oh, this is, this is biblical truth. I, I know we think that there's some spiritual demilitarized zone. There's a lot of Christians that think this. And we're all kind of morally neutral. And uh, if we do good, we get good. And if we do bad, we get bad. No, if we do bad, which we are inclined to do naturally because of the evil, wicked hearts that we have, God, if we refuse to hear him, having heard and heard and heard the message of the gospel as America has, as Europe has, as the cultural West has, and we reject it and we reject it and we reject it and we run headlong into sin, God gives us over to what we want. Because what we want is not him. I, I, I hope you understand this so that you understand what in heavens is happening. This is, in, this is commensurate with the rest of the scriptural narrative. In, God, in, in judgment, God gives sinners over to themselves. I give you Hosea 4, 17. Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. They want idolatry. Let them have it. Proverbs 1 I don't have the whole uh, con the whole text. Let me read it. Verse 24 says, Because I have called and you have refused to listen, I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would not have any of my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently and they will not find me. Verse 29, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. This is what God does. This is what God has been doing. This is what God is doing right now to this country. We have been hating knowledge and the fear of the Lord for 60 plus years. And God has decided, if that's what you want, have it. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up. There it is again, the second time. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And now we're going to get to the non-YouTube-friendly section of this teaching. So, uh, gods of YouTube, I know you listen. I know you're checking this channel out. I know it because we've been reported four times because we basically tell people the truth. Gods of YouTube, I want to let you know, you can cancel this channel. You can throttle this channel. You can, you know, shadow ban this channel. But you're accountable to God. Not to me. And just because you throttle me does not mean you're going to avoid what this text actually says. So here we have the picture of, of what it means and what it looks like when God hands a nation over to their own passions. Women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. That's lesbianism. 
The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. That's homosexual sex. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not fit, see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. That's the third time it says God gave them up to do what ought not to be done. So, so, so he's already talked about the theological underpinnings of rejecting God. Now he's saying, now let's take a look at the surface. These are the surface elements of a culture that has rejected God and therefore God has given them over to what they have desired. See, the, the human heart makes an idol out of creeping things, animals, birds, sports stadiums, businesses, economics, whatever. But the ultimate idol has got to be the ultimate form of creation. If we make an idol, if we make a God out of creation, ask yourself this, what does even the Bible testify to being the highest pinnacle of God's creation? Do you know what it is? It's not the moon, it's not the sun, it's not the stars, it's you, it's human beings. It's man and woman in marriage and reflecting the image and the likeness of God, let us make man in our image. When he makes one man, he says, it's not good. Let us make woman. He makes woman and then God declares them what? Very good. In other words, man and wife are very good. The highest pinnacle of creation is man and wife or humankind. When we worship creeping things and animals, we are worshiping lesser things. When we worship humans, we are worshiping the ultimate idol. And when we worship the ultimate idol, we are worshiping ourselves. And I hope you listen to this. When we worship self, we turn into spiritual spiritual homosexuals because we are not made to worship ourselves. We are made to worship God. We are made to live in, and, and, and marriage is a picture of the relationship of Christ to the church. And marriage is a picture of our relationship to God. And marriage is a picture of opposites, loving and caring for each other and giving of themselves for one another. And when we reject that, we become spiritual homosexuals and the offspring physically is homosexual sex. And that is why Romans 1.26 says that the women start to turn on each other first because we in the spiritual economy are the bride of Christ or the, the wife of God. And when we reject him, we turn from turning to him to turning to ourselves, spiritual lesbianism. I know this is not acceptable language to the cultural warlords or overlords of our day, but, but, but this is what scripture is revealing. So the, the image of God is worshiping itself and, cre and then we reject God and the picture that God gives us to show that the culture has rejected him is homosexuality. Homosexuality is the epitome of idolatry, the love of self, denying the act of giving of ourselves for one another for selfish enjoyment and selfish pleasure. Now, marriage, man or woman, is the only form of sex God sanctions. Lest you think I am targeting homosexuals and lesbians, I want to give you a couple of other, a couple of other uh, sexual activities that are out of bounds. Sex before marriage, that's called fornication. Uh, incest, that's called sex with close relatives. Rape, adultery, sex with somebody outside of your marriage. Pornography, that is what Jesus talked about when he said looking lustfully at a woman uh, from your heart. That's, that's the pornographic system. Any sex outside of marriage. 
Okay. Uh, stats prove, statistics prove, divorce rates are highest amongst those who cohabitated before marriage. Also, most of the abusive relationships between men and women are within cohabitation, non-married shacking up, which is also a sexual activity outside of what God created us for. So please understand that I'm not just targeting, and scripture is never, ever doing this, never just targeting homosexuality as the only horrible sin out there. Nope. Even in this text, he's going to get into further acts of abomination before God. Any sexual activity outside of what God created is immoral. Now, so back to what I was talking about, which is that, that homosexuality is really the epitome of idolatry because it's the worship of self. And God hands them over to a debased mind. Okay, this is down at the bottom here. The word debased is akimos, akimos, uh, adokimos, sorry, adokimos. And it means uh, to be tested and found worthless, to be cast away, to be rejected. Uh, this is a rejected culture is what I'm saying. We've got to know our, our cultural moment. We've got to see it for what it is. We have been handed over to a mind that is cast away from God. Now, as a point of note, side note, I want to say, I want to address something. It's an excuse that I get thrown at. And I want to, I want to empower the church to have a ready answer for this. People will say, well, Jesus never mentioned homosexuality. Uh, <laughs> Jesus never mentioned rape. Jesus never mentioned uh, pedophilia. Doesn't make him right. Jesus was actually asked about divorce. That was the hot topic issue of his day in Matthew 19. What about divorce? And he says, haven't you heard from the beginning? God created them male and female. So God created the genders and said, a man shall leave his father and mother and leave, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man separate. In other words, when Jesus is asked about the hot-button sexual issue of his day, he doesn't go back to the law. He doesn't go back to Moses. He goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, and he says, that is what God wants for you. Man, woman, two genders, no spectrum, two genders, who give themselves selfishly, selflessly to one another, in sexuality. By the way, and let me, this is going to get on the nose. You might want to hide your kids about this. <laughs> in the act of sex between man and woman, this is not rocket science to anyone in a heterosexual marriage. Man, the man responds one way and the woman responds another. And a lot of our conflict in marriage is because men are jerks <laughs> and women need they need emotional uh, love before they are open to sexual love. And even in the act of sex, a man will experience the process of sex far quicker than a woman. Again, you might want to hide your kids from this, but it's true. Why is it like that? God designed it that way. God designed it that way so that a man would not serve sex, use sex to serve himself, and a woman would not use sex to serve herself, they would have to come together and lay down their lives nakedly and unashamedly, serving each other's desires, being patient with each other, being loving toward each other, being giving toward each other. That is how God designed it to work. Marriage is God's discipleship program to get you to stop thinking about yourself. And spiritual homosexuality is you thinking only about yourself. People say, well, this is my body and this is the way I want to live. That's not true. 
God owns your body and your body will not belong to you in the afterlife. Your body will go into the ground and you are accountable to the deeds of your body. And so what we see in our culture, wrapping all this up, is we see that God has already abandoned in many respects this nation, this culture, and handed us over to our own desires. Moving on, verse 29 they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Now, this is beyond homosexuality and lesbianism. They are filled with evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy. That's called Facebook. They are filled with murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. That is called the DM messages on Facebook. <laughs> Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful. That's called Instagram. Inventors of evil disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous degree that those who practice such things deserve to die, look at this last line. They not only do them, but give approval. That's called a pride parade to those who practice them. And I want to say this about the pride parades and about the pride month, about all this celebration. If your worldview so demands me to approve of it, the issue might not be with me, it might be with you. Why do you need so many people to celebrate you? Could it be that really down deep underneath it all, you know, your conscience bears witness that you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment? That's the passage, that's what it meant. Let's talk about what it means. Paul has painted a picture of a nation apart from God, a nation that has abandoned him and his ways. And this is what has happened throughout human history. And it is what we are experiencing right now. And I want to tell you what it means for us and what it, mean, what it meant for the generations before us. Um, what a nation gets when God is rejected is a sexual revolution leading to a sexual religion. What a nation gets when they reject God is a sexual revolution leading to a sexual religion. And if you don't think that sex is a religion in this country, you have been asleep for 30 some odd years. Uh, we have turned in on ourselves. We have worshiped and glorified the human body. We are offering money for it. We are lusting after it, desiring to be like the glamorous people on TV. And, and speaking of it being in religious terms, I give you the lyrics of Locked Out of Heaven by Bruno Mars. I think nothing, nothing epitomizes the sexual religion as, as clearly as this song. Just some of the lyrics. Never had much faith in love or miracles. Never want to put my heart in the line. But swimming in your waters, something spiritual. I'm born again every time you spend the night because your sex takes me to paradise. Because you make me feel like I've been locked out of heaven. You bring me to my knees. You make me testify. You make a sinner change his ways. Open your gates because I can't wait to see the light. And right there is where I want to stay. Your sex takes me to paradise. Like, think about what sex has become for our culture, for our culture. It has become a religious system. It has become a, a religion. This is where we are. This is because we have rejected Scripture. Uh, the Kaiser Family Foundation, some stats for you, found that the vast majority of TV shows, 70%, include some sexual content with an average of five, six scenes per hour. Uh, um, on the top of that, teen shows number the, for teen shows the number is higher, six point seven scenes an hour for teen uh, oriented programming on television. The security technology company uh, Bit Defender reports that ten and under age group 
The 10 and under age group now accounts for one in 10 visitors to the porn sites in, in, in this culture. And when it comes to consumption, the same study shows that children under the age of 10 now account for 22% of online porn watching under 10 years old. The first age of exposure for pornography is 14 for, uh, uh, for males. Uh, sorry, no, sorry. For, uh, for males, it's 11. It's 14 for girls. And we are taking our sexual religion to dangerous extremes because now you have transgenderism when a child is taught that they can feel like a different gender. By the way, obvious question. How on earth does a man know what it feels like to feel like a woman? How, how on earth does this even make sense? I want to proudly confess that I have no idea what it feels like to feel like a woman. I have no idea. I mean, you can say it, but I ain't buying it. You might want to lop off your genitals and get someone to put plastic balls in your chest. You still don't know what it feels like to be a woman physiologically, psychologically, and emotionally. See, see, this is not science. This is futile thinking. This is a debased mind. A man does not know. And I understand why the, why the feminist movement is so silent on this issue. You were fighting for the rights of women. You were fighting for equality. You were fighting for what the Bible espouses, the equal value of men and women. And what you got handed was men becoming women and now beating you up in UFC fights and dominating you in Olympic sports. It's insanity. Because when you think about it. This is what religion requires. Religion requires you to abandon rationality. And so Christianity is a religion. No, it's not. Christianity is a historic movement rooted in history through the cross of Jesus Christ, where God in Christ Jesus died for the sins of the world. That is not a religion. That is a historic movement of humankind coming to know their savior. A religion requires you to abandon rationality. There's plenty of rational, rationality to the Christian faith. There is no rationality to the sexual religion of our day. There's zero. And by the way, uh, this leads to the church because the church embraces this full scale. And, and Jesus talked about this in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual morality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. In other words, the church embraces this. Paul was furious with the Christians in the first century. When they had a man sleeping with his father's wife, he says, that's not even, that's not even allowed amongst the pagans. You should be mournful. You should be, you should be sitting in, in, in humiliating disgrace. In 1 Corinthians 6 to 18, he says, flee from sexual morality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. This one's inside the body. And the church has been complicit with this movement. Christians have been complicit with this movement for far too long. This is how you get an evangelical Lutheran bishop, the first transgender bishop of the Lutheran church in San Francisco has now been installed. And the mantra for this movement for the last 30 some odd years has been tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. But listen to me very carefully. Tolerance is not a biblical value, especially when it comes to sin. In fact, when it comes to sin, tolerance in the Bible is the opposite of repentance. It's the opposite of repentance. That's what he said. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Sorry, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. And at the end of the day, where, where we are headed, where, you say, okay, this is where we are, Pastor. Where are we going? Here's where we're going. We're going to, you're either one of two women. 
in the end times. You're either one of two bra- uh, 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 pictures in the book of Revelation. You're either the bride of Christ, made pure, cleansed, repentant, loving him, glorifying him, giving yourself completely to him, or you are the whore of Babylon. This is the end of the book. This is the end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 18. I give you this passage. Look at it. And he called out with a loud voice, with a mighty voice. Revelation 18 two. Fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual morality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. The most... The most prosperous business in the internet right now is pornography. Sex sells. Immorality sells. And the church, again, has been far too complicit and tolerant of this garbage in its own life. This is why Revelation 18 goes right to verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Hand her over to what she wants, in other words. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. And that is where we are. And God's appeal to the church... God's appeal to his people in light of Babylon is come out of her. Christians, listen to me. We cannot and must not tolerate this in our churches, in our pastoral doctrines, in our teaching, and most importantly, in our marriages and in our, in our private lives. We can't. There's a plague coming. There's destruction coming. But please be aware that the religion of sexuality... And sex is powerful, is affluent, is domineering, and it's seductive. The religion of sex and sexuality, according to Revelation, according to God's own word, is it's powerful, it's affluent, there's a lot of money to be made, it's domineering, it'll take over your life, and it's seductive, it's seductive, it's appealing. And we've got to come out of it. I'm talking to the church now. The world will be the world. Let the world be the world. We are the church. Let's talk about why it matters. So the first chapter of Romans, the first chapter of Romans, I wish it ended happy. It doesn't. What we are in right now is diagnosis. This from verse 18 all the way through uh, Romans 3.23, okay, this is diagnoses. We'll get to the end of this diagnosis uh, all the way here to verse 20, sorry, 3.20. So just so you know, be patient. Good news is coming, but bad news first, because if we don't know the bad news, we'll never address it with the proper news. But here's why this passage, here's why this text matters, okay? we got to fight spiritual gravity. We have got to fight spiritual gravity. Just as the earth has a physical gravitational pull that pulls it to its center, that turns it in on itself, so too there is a moral spiritual gravity that is dragging human beings toward hell. Uh, Paul says men suppress their... 
the truth by their unrighteousness. So that's number one. This is why this passage matters because mankind suppresses truth naturally. It is not something that has to be taught. It's not something that that has to be fought for. Uh, All all of this movement for the last 60 years in this country has just been the natural uh, spiritual evolution or devolution, I call it, of mankind naturally suppressing the truth of God's word. Number two, mankind will deteriorate automatically without supernatural intervention. We are going to get worse. Uh, I, I mentioned this earlier, the, death, the, the, the birth rates are plummeting. By the way, one of the reasons why the birth rate is plummeting is because of the young people's fear of climate change. We are at all high, all, all-time high numbers in young people um, forfeiting parenthood because they're worried that having children ruins the planet. They have been indoctrinated into this nonsense, worshiping the creation rather than the creator and and abandoning the scriptural truth that mankind is made in the image of God. So they have bought into this philosophy, hook, line, and sinker that mankind is to blame. And at the same time, we worship ourselves. We also hate ourselves. Uh, And now the birth rate is plummeting and we are deteriorating. And, you know, eventually uh, we will, we will be, Uh, extinct (laughs) one way or another spiritually first though but number two uh, number three the gospel's power is that intervention the gospel where paul talks about in second timothy that men will be going from bad to worse the good news is that the gospel sets us free from spiritual deterioration and suppressing the truth and number four guard yourself Guard yourself and do not be seduced by the Babylonian age in which we live. This, my friends, I cannot stress enough. I cannot stress enough. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you see. Be careful what you let your kids read and see. I was having a conversation with a a couple in my church uh, last last service we had, and they were talking about their child, 15-year-old, wasn't at home. They sent them something that I had preached in a text message. She wrote back immediately, I don't believe that. That's not fair. I said, who pays for the phone? They said, we do. I said, take the phone away. Parents, you have authority. You have authority of your children. Until they have their own place, you have authority of your children. You are the guardian, and God is going to hold you responsible for what you allow your children to consume. And God is going to hold you accountable for what you allow yourself to consume. We've got to get out of the mess of this world. We've got to get out of the mess of this world. Even now there is hope. I want to, cl- I want to close this on a, on a positive note. I know this is a long episode, but it had, to be, it had to be long. Even now there is hope. I take it to Psalm 81 when God says in verse 6, I relieved, you of your sh- of, I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket and distress. You called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Next passage, next verse. But my people did not listen. My people did not listen to my voice. They would not submit to me. So I, Romans 1 language, I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Romans chapter 1 language here. But look at verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him and their fate would last forever, but he would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, for the church, and this is for the church, There is hope for you. And the hope is to hear the word of God. And we have a job to do. We have a job to do. Number one job is to get the message out and help me get the message out. 
<laughs> uh, subscribe to the channel. Give me the thumbs up. Like the whole thing. Because we are trying to get the message out. The time is the time is now. The day of repentance is now. God's grace is available now. And I want to say finally and in conclusion, if we see the signs, we see Romans 1 unfolding before our eyes and God's command in the, in the last days in Revelation chapter 18 to come out of Babylon, let me say as boldly as I can, this is not the time for half-hearted churches with lukewarm Christians to hear watered-down preaching from approval-addicted pastors. This is the time for truth. And every pastor struggles to preach truth because they want to be liked. And I'm sure every church would rather sin not be addressed. And being, luke and being lukewarm as a Christian is far more appreciated by our coworkers, our friends, and our family. But we must not have it. We must not have it. We, we've got to come out from this world. We've got to stand for truth. And we've got to speak it. Even if YouTube silences it, we're moving over to Rumble. Check it out, timhatchlive.com slash Rumble. timhatchlive.com slash Rumble. Check it out. Subscribe today. Support the channel if you can. That'd be great. Thank you so much for all that you do to help me do this. Visit timhatchlive.com. All of our social media channels. I'm so glad that you were here. I loved teaching this. I hope you appreciated it and I'll see you uh, when will I see you here on the Team Edge Live channel? Tuesday night for the deep end. God bless you guys.